Welcome to the Disconnection Podcast. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and I'm here with Ben Harmadi, and we're your hosts for today's show. During this episode at Disconnection, we'll be speaking to Casey Mann, also Michael. Yes. So, Casey, uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So my, my name is Casey Mann. I, uh, I'm from, if, if you don't know, we're in Englewood, New Jersey right now. I'm from this area originally in a uh, town over called Tenafly. Um, but for the past five years and change, I've lived in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I planned on staying there for six months originally, and then five years later, I find myself still there. Um, I, I, I work out there. I have two jobs right now. I'm in, I'm back in school full time. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's awesome. But, uh, I, so it's like a thing, like I, I work and I'm like, oh, you know what? I really like didn't get the full school experience. I miss going to school. And then mm-hmm. I'm back in school. I'm like, oh, I really want to be working full time. Yeah. Like, so I found that like the best balance for me right now where I'm at is is to like be working um, almost full time and then in school, in school full time. So that's what I'm doing. I'm uh, one of my jobs is actually like more of a hobby. I'm in the uh, cigar business. I'm a big cigar smoker, um, tobacco smoker in general. Um, but basically I help with customer service. I help people pick out cigars, um, based on, right. What, what they've eaten that day or what mood they're in, um, whether they want something light, medium, or heavy. I know everything about the origins of, of the country that the tobacco is coming from, what flavors it's going to give you. Um, and I help with, I, I basically get paid to talk about cigars and smoke cigars. It's awesome. Interesting. And then, uh, I'm also, for the past like three and a half to four years, I'm in the um, more more specifically, you could say mental health field, but more specifically substance abuse field, where um, nowadays I do like freelance counseling, stuff like that. Um, and then I'm in school also, which is, it's a lot. Um, I try not, I try to not let it be overwhelming, but um, yeah, it's cool. I've been managing it, managing it well. That's basically my life on, on a day-to-day basis, right? Lots of cigars, talking to people, um, which I, I enjoy both thoroughly, and then going to, sw- going to school, being a full-time student. I personally know that uh, going to school full-time and working full-time is not the most convenient for any sort of social life. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah, it really sucks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you got into this uh, counseling? Sure. Um, so I got into counseling... All right, I'll start from the beginning. Please, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> let's take it back to take your shoes off before walking in Sure, my house. sure, absolutely. I will. Thank I'll you. go through a lot of that. Um, and if, so I'm going to do a lot of talking right now. Please. Um, if you have any questions, <laughs> if you have anything. I'm, I'm, we'll if, stop, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. If you have any questions, if, if we'll you feel in. like. Is that your phone? Please. That's me. If you feel Jesus. like I, um, if you don't understand something or I don't explain something, like correctly, like feel free to just be like, "Hey, can you go over that again or explain it?" Or okay, good. I'm just making sure because I'm gonna about to rant probably. Go for um, it, man. Basically, I got into the field of counseling um, because I'll start by saying that my whole life I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I felt, you know, my my whole family, my mother, my brother, and my father, they're in. Uh, 
they're in advertising or marketing and sales of some sort. And I thought I was going to do that, right? It was like an easy setup and an easy uh, path that was set up for me. Um, and my mom being successful in her line of work, um, she was like, you can, you know, as long as you have a college degree and you, you, you work hard and you're um, responsible, I can get you a, you know, an interview anywhere and a job at a few places. And I was like, that's cool. Um, but that's not really what I want to do. Um, I felt a very irritable and restless and discontented feeling with everyone I interacted with, everyone I encountered, um, and I didn't feel um, like I was okay, and I didn't like who I was. You know, when when you're in that, though, Mm -hmm. you don't know what to really call it, right? You just have this feeling of anxiety and uncomfortability, and I didn't know what to call it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, especially at the age of six. Right. Um, I like to say the the heart feels what the mind can't explain. So I felt these things that I couldn't explain, but I know it was there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew it was there. And so I didn't know what I wanted out of life uh, for a while. Um, growing up, I, I like I battled with like a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Um, I saw close to five psych- psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists, and um, I had to switch schools three times because I was... Uh, had behavioral issues. I would start fights. I would call out often in class. Um, you win all those fights? What'd you with, say? With your tough hands, you win those fights? Yeah, of course. My my, my fingers, I just have to poke them <laughs> all over. <laughs> um, but no, like I, I basically, I was, I was just a, a wreck my whole life. Um, and I felt very uncomfortable and I didn't know where I was going. I didn't like that. And you see, I'm a very methodical type of person where I like mm-hmm. to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've learned that I can make all these plans, right? I can make plans to drive somewhere and then arrive at a certain time. But there are factors. Um, I'll hit traffic. Maybe, unfortunately, I'll get into an accident. And I can't, right, I can't predict those in the future. Um, and then basically what I'm trying to say when I use that example is I tried and made plans for my life. My life went the opposite way quickly um, than I ever thought it would. Um, and I've learned that I can make all the plans I want based off of my desires, wants, and needs, but life's going to happen, and I have no control over it. And I am okay with that today. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and go with the flow, like people say, and I try. Um, I have a lot of teachers of life, and one of my teachers say, uh, we try and wear life like a loose garment rather than a wet blanket, right? So a loose garment with without attachment, letting things flow rather than holding on to everything tightly like a wet blanket. Mm-hmm. Um and I go on these rants and I veer off topic, but I'll get back. No, no, no you're good. You're good. Yeah. Um, Throw in a couple of metaphors here and there. Yeah. I would actually like to focus more on, you just said your right. life, you know, took a, a detour, right. let's say. No, absolutely. So let's get, um, let's solidify. What was the detour? When did it happen? Like, can I, just not to cut you off, but I just, I remember like first meeting Casey. We were very young. I, well, the big it was towards the end of middle school or the beginning of high school. Yeah, I, I was probably say. fourteen at the time, beginning of high and, school. And uh, Casey was just like a kid-faced little dude who invited us to his house, and uh, we eventually became friends with him. And he had these silly rules, and he'd make us leave the room when calling his mom. And uh, we loved that. <laughs> they were like very classic Casey things. So true. He was just the nicest kid, though, and we were always happy to hang out with him. But you know, I could see that you had this. Uh, almost duplicity between who you were with us 
and how you interacted with your mom, for example. Like you'd right. completely, I always found this interesting. You'd change your voice on the phone to speak to your mom. You'd yeah. go into like I would. proper voice, I you would. know? Absolutely. And, and everyone would be laughing around me while I was trying to keep a serious face. Absolutely. Classic stuff. So why did you feel that you needed to be that person for your family at the time? Um, and did you always feel like that, like that you had to? So I'll answer that question and then I'll talk about like more about my story of how I led up to like being like that. Um, there's one word that then one feeling that I feel that describes who I was for years. Mm -hmm. and that word is fear. Mm -hmm. um, I lived full of fear my whole life. And fear is part of the human condition, right? We all experience sure. fear. It's okay to experience fear. Um, we just can't. We shouldn't. Uh, my experience shows I shouldn't let it control me. So when I let fear control me, right, say I, I walk into this room and I say based off fear what I think you want to hear, right, I won't tell the truth. So I'll lie. Um, and I'll, right, so on the phone when I'm talking to my mother, like back in the day, mm -hmm. I would say how I thought she wanted me to, you know, right. speak. So I would speak to her like that. Mm -hmm. um, you guys specifically, right, our, our group of friends back in the day are the, really the only people who saw me for who I really was. Um, and you said, right, I was like this lucky go, like silly dude who mm. had like a smile on his face, but a very emotional person too. Sure. I, I'm sure you guys remember of me getting very angry. I always felt like, that over yeah. that you had a deep emotion. Right. And I would get very angry very quickly. Um, I haven't gotten angry like that in years. Um, I don't, I try not to get angry like that anymore. I still get emotional, right? I, my feelings are going to come up, right? It's part of the human condition. Um, but I recognize my emotions today and I let them do whatever they need to do, whether it's cry or, you know, be frustrated, but I don't let it control my actions or I try not to let it control my actions. Um, but yeah, fear would be the general answer to that word. Um, I just felt like I had to impress people. I, right, I, I want to look good in everyone's eyes and I want to seem a certain way. And I still feel like that today, but I don't mm -hmm. necessarily always act on that. I'm not perfect. I never will be. So sometimes I still do, but but I I always felt like I had to act on that fear. And quickly, for obviously the people not in the room, I did like a little mini meditation session. And usually in my meditation sessions, depending on where I'm at, right, I'll say different things. But the one thing I said um, before we started this was, "Let me speak from the heart with love and compassion, rather than from the head with fear and ego." That's kind of like. I don't know if you want to call it a mantra or whatever, but that's like the saying I always go into. It's definitely any, a mantra. Right. Any any situation where I'm where I'm talking about myself or stuff like that, or even if I get anxious, right? Like going into a like a date, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, sometimes I'll say that, right? Just speak from the heart, and I, I trust that. I like the mantra, but I also had the meditation before was honestly awesome. It was yeah. very cool. Casey's like, I need 60 seconds. I'm like, six seconds for one. It's like, I'm meditating. I was like, all right. And we just all closed our eyes and shut the hell up for a minute. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was nice. It I is. Actually, I actually like that. It is. I uh, I try and meditate um, on a daily basis uh, every morning. And I, I have certain morning routines and nightly routines before upon awakening and when I retire at night. Um, sometimes I'll meditate for three minutes. Sometimes if I'm really lucky, I'll meditate for like 20 minutes. It's not easy for me. Um, Do you find it as a way to like be able to get your thoughts in like an order? And like yeah, that's, that's definitely, um, it, right. It, it centers me for whatever is going to come my way that day. And sometimes if, if I'm in a rush going to somewhere and I don't get to do it in the morning, 
I'll literally, you know, I'll just pause throughout the day and take 30, 60 seconds to meditate or say something in my head, right, with my eyes closed, trying to relax and uh, deep controlled breathing. I'll go to the bathroom sometimes and do it if, mm-hmm. um, you know, I f- feel like I really need to. Have you always um, meditated? No, I got into meditation probably. Meditation has been something that's suggested to me for the past five years. I've probably been doing it um, consistently for the past like year, if I'm being honest. Like I've been doing it for like three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, consistently. but consistently every single day for the past year. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's really cool. It, Are you I trying to clear your me. mind or, or as you say, center yourself and, and kind of acknowledge what you're thinking so and there's know a lo- that it's not you? Totally. There's a lot of misconceptions about meditation and what it does for people or, you know, um, or I shouldn't say misconceptions. It does a lot of different things for, for different people. For me, I know I try and clear my mind um, so that I, I have a, so part of that routine that I do um, I pray. I pray every day. Sometimes it's twice a day. Sometimes it's a million times a day. I don't pray to, oh, uh, I'm, I'm not religious at all. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I just, I pray though. Um, and some of them are formal prayers. Some of them are, um, most of them are personal prayers. What's a, um, what's a prayer? Is, it, is that kind of like, I'm tr- like, uh, when you're saying you're praying, are you asking for someone for something? Are you? So praying? I do use the word God. Okay. Right. I use the word God, but all I see God is uh, the power of love. I don't think okay. he's a guy in the sky and he'll cast you to hell if you do bad things and or you'll go to heaven if you do good things. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's just my belief. I just believe in the power of love. Right. That there is this power greater than myself and it exists. Um, I talked about earlier the the heart feels what the mind can't explain. Right. And I know that power of love exists a simple example, right? When I look into a baby's eyes, I can't describe what I'm feeling when I look into the baby's eyes, but I know there's that innocence and that love there, mm-hmm. right? So I know that power is real. Um, but that doesn't, I, I try not to think about it mm-hmm. because if I think about it, I'll, I'll screw it up with my own ideas and my fears and my selfishness, right? I'll mm-hmm. be like, oh no, it's this. Oh no, it's that. People start wars over that, right. over that word God, mm-hmm. right? People the start attempt to, wars. To- conceptualize the feeling right because we need to organize as humans we right. need to understand everything around us well we feel like we need to yeah it's not necessarily the truth um right i'm with you but, on that right um but right people start words wars over this word god um i try not to think about it what it is i just know that this word that i choose to call god is directly associated with the power of love and i keep it that simple so i pray to the power of love every day i meditate on right love from the heart rather than fear and ego from the head and um, it's, it centers me, it gets me calm, but allows me to quite acknowledge my thoughts. And then over time now, because I've done it regularly, um, it quiets my mind so that when the right thoughts, right? And I'm, I'm using quotation marks, like right thoughts come, because that's relative, right? Mm-hmm. What people think is right. Um, when the right thoughts come though, from me praying, you know, I can hear them. Because if my mind is quieted, I can hear the right thoughts. That's all. Because between, well, I was going to say between the three of us, but between like <laughs> everyone who's going to listen to this, if anyone listens to this, it's like. Oh, we, we certainly I, hope they do. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, you have some insight and it would be a benefit to anyone listening to, <laughs> to take what our, our guest today, Casey, what you have ego, to say. Please, please. I appreciate that. Though. There's Thank some you. applicable way 
that anybody could take this information for themselves. To be informed and inspired. Totally. Um, No, I I, I agree. I was just, I was just, Joking around, yeah, yeah, a little bit of a. Or maybe, maybe I was speaking out of fear. Who knows? Ooh. Ooh. But, uh, <laughs> but, but basically, yeah. I just want to quiet my mind so that when the right thoughts do come, um, I can hear them, and that's really my idea of why I pray and meditate, and so I can let this power, right, this the power of love, um, let me think about it. But thinking about something can only get me so far, right? I can, I can think about, okay, I need to go to the bathroom. Like really badly, um, right now? No, okay. not literally. But <laughs> I can have that thought, right? We have these thoughts, and I can think about going to the bathroom. But I'm still sitting in this chair. I haven't taken any action. I haven't moved my feet. I haven't gotten up. I haven't opened the door. I haven't walked down the hallway to go to the bathroom. Um, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what I do. And I've learned that, um, right? I I have these thoughts, but it matters what I do. Um. So it seems like you have a a deep understanding of your own conscious mind. You know, we're we're taking a step from a a misunderstanding or a non-understanding in general to, you know, I'm thinking these thoughts. That doesn't mean I have to act on them or I I will and plan to act on them. Uh, And... Where did this stem from? Where where are we coming right. from and, that you took an analytical point on totally, this? Totally, totally understand. And yeah. you've brought that up like a few times and I keep going on these tangents and no, like ranting cool. off. But like I so perfect. I'm glad you said that. Um so right. I got into all these practices and I got into counseling and and I felt like basically I, I wanna help people, um, after not knowing what I want to do on this earth for twenty one years of my life. Um because of what I had gone through in my life. And I don't mean to sound so dramatic, but I, right, I'm, I'm 25 years old. Most 25-year-olds don't haven't gone through what I've gone through. Um, and I put myself through all of it. I'm not saying like, oh, I have really hard life circumstances. Um, I put myself through all the pain that I've ever had in my life. Um, Where was this pain coming from? So, right, it started when I first remember. The first memory I have of it was when I was six years old. I was full of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know what it was called, right? I talked about it. it was just I was restless and irritable, and I would start fights and call out, and I would need attention, and it was all about me, 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 always. Um, but basically, from the age six to nine, I would I would just call out. I would I would uh, start fights. I had to switch schools uh, from public school to private school, and I would get really upset. I had crippling anxiety. I was afraid of the dark. Um, I couldn't, I had to do a routine every day. I'll tell you a story. One day, so my daily routine was I would wake up, I would shower, I'd brush my teeth, I'd eat breakfast. Um, and then my mom would wave goodbye through the window. I'd go up with my housekeeper, this woman, uh, this Filipino woman, Paz, who helped raise me. Mm. I'd go up to the window and I'd wave to my mom. One day my mom was running late and she didn't wave at me. And the anxiety I experienced was that I felt the need to, I didn't literally feel the need to do what I did, but I did it because I was anxious and I didn't feel okay. Um, I decided to shatter the windows in my living room. My mom didn't say bye to me that day, and I felt so uncomfortable with that. I banged on the windows till they broke. Um, that's the type of anxiety I'm talking about, where I will do unexplainable things um, because I don't feel okay. There's something in the pit of my stomach that is telling me something is wrong, when in reality my mom was right. In reality, 
the fact of the situation was my mom was running late that day. Right. That's it. It wasn't personal. But I felt um, like something was wrong. And I'm, a, I'm the type of individual, I don't deal with facts. I deal with feelings. Today I try and deal with facts. But my whole life I've dealt with feelings. It doesn't matter the fact of the situation. Mm-hmm. Right? I felt that way. Um, <clears throat> Did you so, have coping mechanisms for these feelings? Uh, yeah. I, um, the coping mechanisms, right? I would, uh, I would do like deep breathing exercises. I was taught them at a very young age. I had this thing where I would uh, hold my wrists tightly and it would like calm I me down. I remember watching you do yeah, that yeah. very often. Yeah. I, I did that literally till the age of like 17 or 18 yeah. um, from the age of like nine. Um, I sucked my thumb till I was eight years old. I had a blanket till I was like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most common coping mechanism I had was uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, that's a huge part of my life and story. Um for those of you who don't know me, I uh, I don't smoke anymore. I don't do any form of drugs, substances, uh, any outside substances. I don't drink alcohol. I haven't in about four years now, um, and I'll get I'll definitely get into that um, a lot. But I'll, I'll quickly just say that right. So I was I was uneasy my whole life, and I had this anxiety and depression, and I was nine years old and I walked into my kitchen and there were a bunch of donuts laid out. I remember everything about this moment. There were Entenmann donuts. They were crumb topped. It was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And they're still my favorite probably. I love those crumb yeah, donuts. they're amazing. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, my dad and mom was in there and me and my brother walked in and they, they said, uh, we're getting a divorce. And my world fell apart, right? I was nine years old. I didn't understand. They got separated then. They got divorced about two years later. Um, but my dad was very depressed my mom was thoroughly depressed and my brother was very angry so at the age of nine i made the subconscious decision that um i have to take care of myself and my family Um, because my brother's angry he won't talk to anyone my dad is sad my mom's sad and i put my feelings to the side to try and help them um i'm not saying oh look at me right but that's something that i shouldn't have probably put on myself because I didn't pressure right I I didn't I didn't focus on myself and I put way too much pressure on myself Um, and I made this decision subconsciously I didn't like say this out loud to myself Mm -hmm. right but really what I did at the age of right 9 to 11 um, and I always talk about this when I when I do share my story because I share my story often um, is that I made three vital decisions subconsciously in that in that time period one was that i didn't want anything to do with god so i was raised by that that woman paz that filipino woman uh and she used to be a nun Mm. and she taught me prayer and all this stuff so i was praying just because she told me to and all that stuff but i remember crying my eyes out i was in the closet of my bedroom my parents were fighting my brother wasn't home and i prayed to a god i didn't understand i said god please don't let my parents split up And they did. So the first decision I made, I said, okay, I don't want anything to do with God. Mm. Then the second decision I made is I don't want anything to do with people. Because if my parents are going to, right, I felt, and this isn't the, remember, I deal with feelings, not facts. The feeling of the situation was abandonment. Uh, The fact of the matter was that they were both depressed and they weren't communicating well, right? They had a lot of communication issues and they just... I don't know if they didn't love each other or they just grew apart, whatever it is, but I, I made it personal 
And I said, okay, they're abandoning me. So I said, I don't want anything to do with people. I'm going to take care of myself and I'll help people, but I don't need help from anyone. Then the third decision I made, and this is where the drugs really come in, is that I was having all this anxiety and depression. And my teachers suggested to my parents that I go see um, a doctor to talk to them about it. And so I, I went to see this licensed individual who said, Casey, you have this and you have that. And they diagnosed me with a million different things. And they said, I'm telling you that you have to take this substance. You have to take this pill every day and it will fix your problem. So, and that was the third thing, right? The third thing I, I subconsciously said to myself was, I have to take this outside substance and my problems will go away. So at the age of like 11 or 12, I said, okay. That makes perfect sense, right? Um, I want nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with people. I'm going to run my life the way I think I should. And I have to take pills every day to fix my problems. Mm -hmm. a, a, a licensed individual, a doctor told me that. Someone so of not authority. Just me. Right, yeah. right. So I'm like, okay. And I'm paying to see this person. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to their advice. And I'm going to do it. Um, I think I made those subconscious decisions at that very early age. And it, it shaped my life experience um to to what it became right um and i'm i'm grateful for for i'm grateful for where i am today um right i've i've done a lot of bad things and i've been through a lot of uh hard things but i'm grateful for it all um i need to experience those bad things does that confuse you no not at no. all you had to go through the tough times and tough times in fact uh, are proven to build more character because you're having to deal with situations that uh, a child shouldn't be taking on personally. Like right. you're not as a nine, 11 year old supposed to go, oh, I'm gonna take care of myself. Right. And when you do, <laughs> you immediately jump from a learning standpoint as a kid to, oh my God, I have all of these responsibilities. Right. I have to do all these things in order to survive. It's a survival mode. Right. And when you place yourself in that mental headspace, you're you're building up the the strength to deal with difficulties later on in life. Right. And so it's very unfortunate that you put yourself through all of this, but it's also built you into the person that you are today. And right. thank God for that. You know, right. I don't believe in a God, but yeah, totally. it's the saying. I understand, the right? Saying. It's yeah, the yeah. saying that matters. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I, what I like to say, um, I need to experience the bad thing, specifically with fear, right? Mm -hmm. Part of the human condition. I need to experience the fear for every reason you just said. But if I didn't experience the bad times, how could I appreciate, let alone acknowledge the good times? And I use the, uh, the analogy, right? If I didn't experience what the dark was like, how could I appreciate or acknowledge the light? I wouldn't I be able, I wouldn't I be able to, just like right? I wouldn't yeah. be able to recognize it and or appreciate it. Same thing with warmth and cold. If, mm -hmm. I didn't, if I didn't experience the cold, how could I appreciate or acknowledge the warmth? Um, and you can use a million different examples of that. But, so yeah. Uh, I would like to get the story from you of when was, so you've got these pills as a kid, right. but when was the move on a individual level to take responsibility? Now you're not going to, or you're still going to someone of authority, a practitioner, a yep. psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, but now you're gonna take drugs into your own hands and you're gonna say, I'm gonna self-medicate. Right. So I know what to do because these will get rid of my problems. Right. When did that occur? No, totally. Um, it was like very soon after. Basically, and I, and for just so you guys know, because I don't know if you guys know, from the age, um, from that early age and like 12 years later until, um, I'm so I'm sober, until mm -hmm. I got sober, I was seeing a licensed individual and taking prescribed medication. Um, 
I'm not against prescribed medication. I believe it does wonders, and I think some people need to take it and should mm -hmm. take it. I just know that me living the the way I live my life today and applying spiritual principles to my life um, is a better substitute for a guy like me. Um, and so I haven't seen a, a licensed individual um, or taken medications or anything like that in the past four years either. Um, but when I was 12, to answer your question, I was 12 years old and <clears throat> my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my brother, and my father, we were all in Long Island uh, having dinner together. We were just hanging out. Um, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget this moment or this day because it was, it was a huge day for me. It was the fall. Um, it was the fall I can even pinpoint. It was the fall of 2004. Okay. Fall of 2004. I'm taking you back 13 years. Fall of 2004. We're having this dinner, right? We all go downstairs. Me and my cousins. We're watching Happy Gilmore. It was like our favorite movie. We would always watch it together. It's a great I, movie. It is. It's a classic. Um, but I noticed my cousins, Chelsea, Jordan, and Jake, who are the oldest, they took out this clear bottle, this clear liquid. I didn't know what this bottle was, right? And rem remember, um, I'm like this scared little boy who's made these three subconscious decisions, and I'm full of fear, and I'm really angry and an emotional child. But I see them take this bottle, and I see them drinking it. And slowly, over a few minutes, I see them start to smile and laugh. And then Chelsea starts dancing, and Jordan starts laughing, and my brother starts making jokes. And I made the connection. I said, okay, they're drinking this clear liquid which was Grey Goose, um, and they seem okay. They seem happy. They seem okay in their own skin. They seem comfortable. And I said, I don't know what that is, but I want that feeling because I've never experienced that feeling in my life. I felt uneasy and not okay with who I am my entire life, so I want that feeling. So they all went to bed, and I took that bottle, and I went into my Nana's bathroom, and I drank my brains out. And I threw up all over the place. Oh and I still remember oh something. <laughs> and I was 12 years old. And I cleaned it all up. And I woke up the next morning. And a normal guy, because I'm very far from normal, but a normal guy would probably be like, whoa, what the hell did I do last night? I woke up and I said, wow, that was amazing. I need to do that again. That's the type of thinking I have. Wow. Right? I got relief from an outside substance in the form of alcohol this time. And I said, wow, I need to do that again. I felt okay for the first time in my life. Because when I took that bottle and I drank it, as gross as it was, I felt a warm, fuzzy feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I could take a deep breath, right? I took a deep breath. I said, I'm okay for the first time in my life. And so I said, I made another subconscious decision. And I said, I want to chase that feeling for the rest of my life. I want to feel like this for the rest of my life. So at the age of 13, it was something else, right? And I'll, I'll talk specific, sure. I don't, I don't mind people knowing. 13 was marijuana, right? 14 was MDMA. Uh, 15 was hallucinogens. Started mm -hmm. taking acid and shrooms and all this stuff. I remember Six, all these periods. Sorry, yep, keep yep, going. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, please. I, I, I know you guys remember. You were you were there for my craziness and my emotional. Uh, First time I actually ever took acid was with you. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sure. It it's was fantastic. We were, were we at my house? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were in my bedroom. I remember. It was remember. so cool. You looked like a dragon when you blew those <laughs> smoke rings. By the way, Casey is amazing at blowing smoke rings. Oh, you looked like you. A, a dragon blowing smoke rings into the <laughs> ceiling light. Literally. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I went through periods because 
when I when I write, I I was I was prescribed Adderall and uh, benzodiazepines, and for those of you who don't know what those are, those are things like Xanax, Klonopin, stuff like that, anti-anxiety medications. I mean, I was taking a lot of antidepressants as prescribed, and. I, I was like, okay, I made it a goal. I was like, I want to try everything. Mm. I want to see how much relief I can get and from how many different things. Uh, well, I remember also this is kind of how you are today, like I'd say with cigars almost, but like back in the day with weed and all these things, you like to know all the details. Casey was 100%. the most knowledgeable guy about every drug. <laughs> you know, you very much. It's 100%. You made it a when, hobby almost. Right. You know? When I get involved with something, I'm truly fascinated by something. I want to know as much as possible. Um Partly, probably, because of ego. Mm. I want to be that guy where people can look up to and talk to about things, and sure. I have the answers. But a lot of it has to do with, right, I want to know what I'm doing. I was the very methodical, like I said. Right. Um, I was, and again, in quotation marks, the responsible drug user. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would, I would, and for, for what Ben is referring to, I had a $13,000 bong collection. I had eight different bongs. Right. I always had... I had a quarter ounce of different weeds labeled in like different jars, and I'm the same way with my cigars. I have three humidors at home. I have a locker at my my workplace, and I have a cooler full of boxes. I have close to a thousand cigars now. Wow! Um, yeah, right? and it's cool to have a hobby. I mean, no, I think absolutely. It, I'm happy that you found something. Thank that's, you. you know, that's not, not illegal yeah, and not exactly. not. Uh, um, gonna bring me down, right? Bring my life down. But basically, I went through all these phases of taking different substances. Thirteen was marijuana. Fourteen was MDMA. Fifteen was hallucinogens. Sixteen, I started doing some cocaine once in a while, um, and then I started mixing my benzos. Right? I was prescribed Xanax, and I started drinking and taking benzos. And I found out that I would black out um, even harder and even quicker. Um, and you guys didn't see me drink a lot, but it's because when I found the drugs, I stopped the drinking. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the age of 17, I started drinking heavily. I would drive around in my old uh, my old car with a bottle of Jack in my cup holder. Uh, right at oh, the wow. time I was I was seeing Jasmine. I was uh, you guys remember Jasmine? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I um I would drive around with a bottle of Jack, and I wasn't telling everyone about my drinking because I was ashamed. Um, and then also at that age, I started getting into other things like opiates, uh, mm -hmm. specifically oxycontins. Um, I've seen a million people do them before. Um. And I just didn't like the idea of, right, snorting these pills and stuff. But I saw my friend. I went to my friend, and I'll leave his name out of it um, because you guys will know who I'm talking about, but I don't want to blow up his spot. But I went to my friend's house, and I saw him smoking these pills. And I said, wow. And I'm obsessed with smoke, right? Mm. To this day, I love smoke. I smoke cigars. I smoke pipe tobacco. But I, I was obsessed with smoking things back then. So I said, you can smoke these pills. And I smoked it. And I said, wow. It brought me back to, right, the fall of... 2004 when I was that little kid and I got relief like I hadn't felt in years and I said wow I'm okay again so I smoked those pills every single day for two months until I I think I went through about fifty thousand dollars in cash um oh my god I was a big man. I was Whoa. a big drug dealer too yeah um for these guys know that but the people who are listening don't know that I went through fifty thousand dollars in cash all the cash I had that I hadn't put away in savings um and uh one day I was out of cash and I said, okay, I got to stop this. And I put it down. And I like, I got the flu the next day. And I didn't know. I was like, why am I sick like this? Why do I feel so crappy? And nowadays, right, now I know I, I treat people with substance abuse disorders. I know that's called withdrawal. I was withdrawing, and I never experienced that. And I went to my friend's house. I was like, I, I think I'm sick. And he's like, no, dude, you're withdrawing. Like, here, take a hit of this. And I took a hit, and I was like, oh, okay, instantly feeling better. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um and that didn't scare me. 
right? Yeah. I Like a normal person, like I think they can recognize like, oh, I have a serious problem. I have like a serious habit. I was like, no, I'm just doing drugs. I'm just, um, I, I work hard. I play hard. I'm just, you know, right. I'm just having a good time. I'm just trying to feel good. I'm just, I'm just taking a drink or taking a drug every other day or, or every like day. This, and then, yeah. <laughs> I, I could be totally wrong, but I feel like this relates right back to you as an 11 year old. I think you said when you first went to that doctor and it felt like it was okay when he was giving totally, you right? that prescription. Absolutely. Sit. I mean, obviously I took it to the extreme because I was self-medicated. Sure. Um, but like but yeah. this was like your excuse almost totally. like in your own head. Right? I, I, I absolutely could agree with that. hundred percent. Um, and then 18 was something else. Uh, 18, I actually started, uh, smoking crack and doing things like DMT. And I would, I, I was living in Colorado at the time for school, which didn't go well because I failed every single class. I went to class about six times in a year and, um, I was doing all these powerful stuff. And then when I couldn't get the oxys, I moved to heroin and I was doing, I found myself freebasing heroin and crack in my tiny dorm room. Um, and then at the age of 20, I started smoking meth. Um, and yeah, and then a lot of things happened. I'll, I'll backtrack a little. Um, and you guys remember this. It was July 2nd of 2011. I was going to prom weekend. Um, right. We go to the Jersey shore. Mm -hmm. Um, we rented out the Thunderbird hotel, right? That yeah, was the I hotel. Think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Thunderbird. That yeah. was, that was like the seat, like everyone would want to rent that hotel. And we rented that out. I was going to meet my girlfriend at the time there and all my friends. And I pulled out of my complex and nine cop cars passed by literally as I was pulling out. I pulled over in my neighbor's driveway, Kelsey Bornstein's driveway, and I parked the car and I called my stepdad, Mike. I said, hey, Mike, what's going on? And he said, cops are in our house. What's going You tell me what's going on, Casey, right? The cops are raiding your room. And it was over, or I felt it was over. Um, and I hid out in a hotel for three nights because a lawyer suggested for me to do that and until until at least my charges were placed and my bail was set so I didn't have to go to jail um and it came out that I was facing eight to 12 years um for seven different felonies and I had a hundred thousand dollar cash bail no 10 percent no bond over my head and so I turned myself in with a hundred thousand dollars cash and um I thought my life was over and I asked myself, I, I, I truly asked myself, and I remember this conversation I had with my stepdad. He said, you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself if you're the man you want to be. Because I've learned that mirrors don't lie. They always tell the truth when everything else doesn't. And I looked myself in the mirror, and I hated what I saw. Um, not enough, though, to stop, because I kept going. Um, but I remember being handcuffed and in that courtroom with my parents in the back of the room, crying their eyes out, asking what they had done wrong. And if you were there next to me, I would have told you that that was by far the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life. Um, I don't see it like that today. Um, that was probably one of the greatest events of my life because it led to, right, uh, me on a better path. Um, and I, and I, so, so finally, after being called out by my lawyer, by my mom, by my dad, by my friends, by my teachers, the, the cops tried stopping me from graduating high school. And, and to be honest, the, the cops went about this the wrong way, right? They charged me with things I didn't really have. They uh, exaggerated the charges. And that's why I got off with like a good, like with a good deal, considering what I was charged with. I got off with five years probation and my license suspended for three years, um, and my family wanted to sue the police department. And, and in, during all this turmoil and all this craziness, my lawyer was just like, hey, like, 
let's just like try and make a deal and like let's try and get you help because you obviously need help. So I took five years probation. I pleaded guilty to one uh, felony of marijuana possession and distribution. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, uh, I, so I was put on probation, right? And I was really sick. I was 40 pounds underweight. I'm, I'm 6'1", and I was about probably 130 pounds. It was skin and bone. And I went to Colorado um, for school, University of Colorado at Boulder. And I partied more. I couldn't find oxys right away, so I was taking bars because my friends were dealing bars out there. Um, how no, were you? Al- how, sorry to interrupt. Sure, how no were you problem. allowed to leave if you were on probation? So I did. Um, basically, you can. It was my first offense, and the judge recognized that I had a serious drug problem. Right? He didn't say yeah. there's just some bad kid who who's dealing drugs and hurting people. Um, uh, he recognized I had a drug problem, so he was like, "Okay, like you have to go see a doctor." And I saw this woman in Englewood. Um, and then I'd keep contact with her. And then I saw the school counselor and they would give the probation reports. Mm-hmm. And so I did something called out of out of state probation. Okay. Um, and they they didn't transfer it, but it was literally out of state where I'd send letters and the counselor at the school would send reports of how I was doing. Um, and it, it, it was a it was a nightmare, though. It was yeah. a nightmare. I went to Colorado. I, I kicked all the all the opiates and all the drugs out of my system. Um, I started drinking often because I couldn't find anything else. I started taking bars or Xanax often and then until I found it, right? I found Oxys eventually and I found uh, black tar heroin actually and I found myself smoking that um, after a while. And I did a lot of crazy things in Colorado. Um, I don't want to keep talking about like war stories just because I literally have a million of the crazy things I did. Uh so so where did you go from at what point did you start being sober? What, right. What and was the step? Well basically being I'll sober? I'll keep yeah, going, yeah. but I don't I don't wanna I'll give specific stories because they're funny of how crazy I was. Yeah. Um and you guys live them with me. You guys saw my craziness. Sure. But like I was at the end of high school, after all this had happened, I was going into people's homes and robbing their jewelry. I was breaking into people's homes, some Goddamn. of our friends' homes. Not specifically you two, I never did. But some of our friends that we know. Yeah, Thief I... would say that, right? <laughs> no, he would, he would. Um, no, I've made it right with those people. I've let them know what I did. Um, and That's I've apologized amazing. for it and I've paid yeah. them back. But but I, I broke into people's homes and I'd steal their mom's jewelry and pawn it off at the at the jewelry store in Tenafly on, the railro- on uh, Railroad Ave. And um, I was doing crazy things. And in Colorado, I... There was this one time where I, I stole my friend Alex's car, Alos, um, Alex's car, and to go and get drugs. And I made up the story how my aunt was dying of cancer in Denver. And oh my so God. I, I, that's why I took the car. And my phone died. And, and he was calling me for four hours saying, where the hell are you? I need my car. And I, I said, okay, I need to make up a story, right? And so I thought it was a good idea um, to pretend I got mugged. So I pulled over the car. I found a beer bottle on the ground, and I bashed my the back of my head in until I started bleeding. Then I got some ketchup packets and put that on the back of my head to make it more exaggeratory. And then I took a cigarette and burned it on my face Jesus. Um, to pretend like I got mugged. And I went back to the house, and I was like, oh, look what happened. And I like put the fake tears on, and everyone felt bad for me. I, did I tell you that story? Did no, I, I just, after all these years, I didn't know that oh, you, you didn't, didn't know actually get fake? mugged. Yeah, I didn't. Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> World-shattering I, I news. I felt so terrible for you. Yeah, it is Yeah, yeah, don't feel bad. News. I was, oh I was just God. a maniac. 
And yeah. Alex knows. Alex knows that that was fake. I I apologized to him probably two years ago now, and oh, we're my. we're close and we talk. Um, but yeah, I would that that's the type of stuff I do, right? To get relief. See, alcohol and drugs. I don't have an alcohol and drug problem. I have a me problem. Um, my problem centers in my mind. I have an obsession, right, to feel okay, and I will do anything to feel okay. Specifically with drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol is my solution. It is not my problem. Um, I have alcoholism. I have addiction. Alcohol treats alcoholism, right, as a solution. Um, and it, it's a good solution too, right? When I drink alcohol, when I do drugs, I feel good. I feel okay. I get relief from my condition called alcoholism or addiction, whatever you want to call it. Um, and and I get this relief. So, so I'll do anything to get relief and I'll do crazy things like that. Like that story I just brought up to you. Um, but basically... I left Colorado. My mom found out. I failed every single class. Um, I went back to probation to report, and I wasn't sober. I couldn't stay sober. So I got something called a whizinator. Um, it's a fake penis that you attach to your uh, hips. And I used it once. It worked. I used it the second week. It worked. And then the third week, I got caught by this big PO named Hercules. Um, and he 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 noticed I looked over my shoulder when I was peeing and he said, wait a minute. And he grabbed, he came over and he grabbed it and waved it in my face oh, and said, what is this? Oh, man. Um, and he pressed, <laughs> literally that's what happened. And he, and, he, and he pressed this white button and these cops rushed in. They arrested me. That's a second degree felony, trying to defraud a drug test. I was thrown in jail for a little. My mom was at the, uh, the London Olympics at the time. I had to call her. She wasn't picking up, obviously. I called my dad. He bailed me out. Um, but... But right, even though my house got raided, even though I saw my parents cry, even though I, all the pain I'd put my family through and my friends through, specifically you two, right? I was crazy. I have said some, not so much you. I yeah. We got closer once I got sober. But with you, Ben, I was like cruel to you. Like sure. A lot of my friends. I sure. wasn't nice. I wasn't a nice person. Well, me and you used like, to fight often. We used to fight physically. <laughs> yeah, we would yeah, physically yeah. fight. We would, we would get drunk. We would get drunk or high. Yeah. And I we think would it was brawl. both our egos yeah. trying to wave Probably. our own dicks Probably. in the air. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but basically, I just I didn't care because I felt so uncomfortable that I needed relief. Um, and I'm not saying that's a good excuse. It's not. My behavior was not excusable. But um, that's the reason for it, nevertheless. And, um, so I got thrown in jail and my lawyer and my family, they said, okay, prevent to prevent, right. Anything bad happening while you're on probation, right. There's just the first strike. Um, cause they, again, they saw that I had a drug problem. They said, you got to get treatment. So I went to this, I went to rehab. Um, I spent my 20th birthday. Um, it was the summer of 2002. 12. Yeah, I spent my 20th birthday in rehab at a place called Silver Hill Hospital in New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, it was a country club of a place. Really nice. Uh, nice women, too. I ended up having like a rehab romance there. This girl. Um, against the rules, too, right? Right. That's very yeah. against the rules. Yeah. Fraternization is against the rules. And and she's she's actually, I, I talked to her probably a month ago. She just got married to this guy, Dan. Hey, she's super happy. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm close with her. She's an awesome person and a cool friend. Um, but but basically, I what I'm trying to say is I wasted my time there. Um, I didn't. I wasn't ready. I didn't want to get sober. Mm-hmm. I'm a really manipulative person, and I'm really good with words. So I put on the smile. I learned the sober lingo. I spit it to them. I spit it to my parents. I said, "Okay, I'm better." 
And they suggested something called further treatment where you go to a sober home. My mom was like, okay, let's take you to a sober home. I was like, no, take me back to Jersey. So I went back to Jersey. And that same day that I got discharged, she found me a few hours later, passed out on my brother's bed uh, with tinfoil on my chest. Um, a few hours later mm-hmm. of getting, of being 30 days sober, the longest I had been sober in, right, in seven years, something like that. And that's how I landed up in Boston. I was supposed to go to Boston for three to six months to a sober home. And I ended up staying 10 and a half months in that sober home. Um, I, right, I learned how to, I learned basic things too, by the way. I learned how to make my bed. I learned that I'm supposed to brush my teeth two to three times a day. These are things I forgot that I wasn't doing. Um, I learned that I should probably eat three to four meals a day. I started going to the gym. I gained 50 pounds. I looked great. Um, I felt great. Um, but the second I got out of the sober home, I didn't really want it. Um, so I went back out and that's when I picked up my meth habit and I was running around, uh, drinking my brains out, running with bad people. I was actually running with the cartel, um, in Boston for a little bit and I was just doing stupid, stupid crap again. I was on probation this whole time. I was dodging drug tests for three months and I came up dirty once and my, my, PO in Boston wanted to throw me in jail um but I I continued to like seek outside treatment out of the sober home like in something called an IOP um intensive outpatient Mm -hmm. and they were like no like give them one more chance try and so they said okay um the worst moment of my life something that people who are sober like to refer to as bottoms was early December of 2013 I was sitting in a walk and talk it's this Chinese place mm-hmm. I was I, w- I was homeless at the time actually um, I I was uh, <laughs> I was living out of a 24-hour Dunkin Donuts in this place called Cleveland Circle in Brighton Massachusetts and a walk and talk on Heath Street in Jamaica Plain and I walked into the walk and talk I went to the bathroom got my stuff ready um, took a hit and I looked in the mirror and I started crying. Um, I hated what I saw. And it was like that moment that my stepdad asked me to look in my mirror two years previously. And I, I hated the person I saw. And I picked up my phone. And I went to call anyone. And at, in that moment, I realized that there was no one on this earth who wanted to talk to me. Um, I was alone. And that was the worst moment of my life. Um, yeah, it was it was it was really crappy. And I walked out of there, and I remembered there was this guy Jay, who's a very close friend of mine. Um, I spoke with him last night. We speak regularly, and I see him regularly. And I said, Jay, I need help. So I went to. He lived down the street from the walk and talk. Um, so I walked to his house, and I detoxed on his living room floor for four nights. Right, I kicked the drugs and all this stuff. And um, and my sobriety, right? I've been sober since December 24th of 2013. Um, and I've been sober since then. And right, I've, I've managed with the help of, right, the power of love and a lot of loving and caring people and taking right action and stuff. I've managed to stay sober, which has been a really cool um, experience because a lot of people nowadays, especially, right, we have an opioid epidemic. A lot of people don't make it. Um, I've buried a lot of friends. Uh, I have a friend, Dan, who, who passed away 
uh, two Wednesdays ago. His wake was this past Monday. Then uh, there's another kid I know, Arnold. Um, his wake was three weeks ago that I was at. Um, people are dying, right? So I'm very lucky terrible, to be man. alive. Do you think that part of that or our opioid epidemic is stemming from the the lack of attention that we're paying to kids and then you want the kid to be better and so you send them to a psychiatrist or whatever, uh, someone of authority and the person of authority says, hey, listen, here's an outside thing. And then they, you have all of these uh, kids for a whole generation, our generation, the, the people that are younger than us who are going through the same things that you went through of I have this thing that someone of authority is giving me and I'm going to take it and this is what I'm going to do to deal with all my problems. Right. Um, I agree with that to a point. Um, being right, a counselor who uh, has um, tried and worked, who has worked with people not only with substance abuse disorder but with depression, with anxiety, with right personality disorders, um, I believe that medication is necessary for, for a lot of people. Right. right. Like, but... Um, specifically, but these these medications that people are prescribing for those types of things are things like SSRIs, like uh, Lexapro, and anti-anxiety medication like benzodiazepines, um, and or or a, a number of different things. Um, in Boston, they're called Johnnies. There's this thing called gabapentin um, or Neurontin, and people take that for mood stabilizing. And and there are medications that I think are helpful. However, when it comes to opioids specifically, mm -hmm. I think it has to do with, right, the leniency that doctors have prescribed that medication over time. When someone gets injured playing football in high school and they start taking those pills, then they get addicted to them, um, and then they can't kick it. I will say that there is a difference between the problem drinker or the problem drug user than to the alcoholic and the drug addict. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. And the difference is, um, I'll give you an example. Little Joey gets into an accident and he's prescribed these medications. And he starts taking these pills every single day as prescribed. And then they say, okay, you got to stop, right? It's been 60 days of you taking these pills. You're good. You're healed. But he's going through withdrawal. So he needs to get more. So he gets heroin because that's the only thing that can make him feel better. And he uses heroin. And then he starts drinking and all this stuff. And then eventually he finds himself robbing people. And he gets caught robbing someone with a gun. And they say, okay, you're facing this time in prison. Um, but you need maybe we'll give you a chance and go to treatment and be, get better. And so he goes to treatment. And he, he gets better. And he kicks the stuff. Right? And that's it. That's it. That's the problem drinker. That's the problem drug user. And I don't have the right to say whether someone is a real alcoholic or a real drug addict. It's a self-diagnosing thing. Um, but that is an example of the problem drinker and problem drug user. The difference between little Joey and me is that when I did all that stuff and I was in that courtroom and I was facing 8 to 12 years in prison... And the judge said, Casey, all you have to do is stay sober and you won't go to jail. I start thinking about how jail looks, okay? <laughs> oh, I, I, I start thinking about how jail looks because yeah. I'm not staying sober, right? Circumstances, that is the difference. External circumstances do not matter to the alcoholic or drug addict. External circumstances aren't going to change anything. Um, my geographical location isn't going to change anything. My whether I'm going to jail isn't going to change anything. Whether I'm facing probation, whether I'm going to lose my wife or I'm I'm losing my home, my family. Right? I have yeah. that hole in the soul 
that I need to fill with some sort of alcohol or drugs. Luckily, I found something else, a spiritual solution, right? Mm -hmm. The power of love, specifically. That's my solution today. I love that you call but, it the power of love. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's that's one of one of my teachers um, used that word, and and I didn't know what to think of it, right? Because mm -hmm. no offense to you guys, but I grew up with you guys, mm -hmm. and we're ball busters. Sure. Where where we. You know, we call, can I curse? Yeah, yeah of course. Okay, where we call each other, right, pussies and, like, yeah, all this yeah. shit. And, and like, so I felt, and I'm not blaming you guys, but, like, I felt like I couldn't talk about my feelings and I had to be a man and, like, mm -hmm. right? And, and if I told you when I was 16 years old hanging out, like, oh, what about the power of love? You would have been like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, you loser? Probably would have reacted differently than right. I do today. Exactly. Sure. But, like, nowadays, if I talk to someone about that and they laugh, mm -hmm. which is never happened to me honestly i don't really care um but like back then i wouldn't say something like that so right that's what my one of my teachers um have taught has taught me right that that there's this power of love that exists and that if we act out of love and compassion toward everyone we encounter alcoholic drug addict regular human being on the street if we act that way that is um and and specifically if we go further and try and be of service to those people i'm going to be with I'm going to be okay with who I am. If I do God's will or this this power, the power of love's will, really, that's what I believe it is, the power of love's will and act out of love and act out of compassion toward all human beings, then I'll be okay. And I won't have to, I won't, you see, when I'm okay spiritually and I'm acting out of love, there's nothing for a drink or a drug to fix. I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs anymore. I have a lot of miracles in my life. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about white light experience miracles, nothing like that, nothing religious. Um, but I have a lot of miracles in my life. Like I have my friends that I talk to that are willing to talk to me. And I have my family that are willing to talk to me. And I'm alive. That's a miracle in itself. And I have all these gifts. The greatest miracle in my life, though, is not like a lot of people say, oh, the greatest miracle in my life. And this is not to knock them. I just see it differently. That's all. My perspective is different. There's no right or wrong. But how I see it is that, so sorry, people say that the greatest miracle in their life is that they haven't picked up a drink or a drug for a year or five years or 10 years or however long it is. I don't want to be sober and miserable. Um, see, when you take my drink or drug away from me, because it's my solution, which I talked about, it's not my problem. I don't have a drinking problem or a drug problem. Um, I've an, I'm, I'm an answer drinker. I'm not a problem drinker. Like this guy, Tom, used to say to me, or used to say, um, you see, when you take that away from me, I get worse. I get more irritable, restless, discontent. I get like when I was 10 years old and I didn't have that bottle of Grey Goose yet in my life and I didn't have outside substances where I feel anxious and I feel paranoid and I don't feel okay and I'm depressed and I'm sad. Sometimes I want to kill myself and I want to kill everyone around me, really. I'm homicidal and suicidal. And... Basically, when you take that drink or drug away from me, I need I need a solution, and this spiritual solution has replaced it. Um, one of my teachers taught me, or like used to, has always said to me, if you take away a bone from a dog, you better give him a steak. Right? If you take my drink or drug away from me, you better give me something back. Why would I stop drinking or drugging, if if it gave me that relief, if it melted the fear away? Because that's what it really did, melted mm -hmm. the fear away. Um, but why would I, why would I stop? And so I found something better through the power of love. So back to my original thought of there are people who are sober and they're miserable. They're alcoholics and drug addicts and they've been sober for a year, five years, 10 years. And it's great that they're sober. That's right. awesome. But I want more than that, right? I want to be okay. Um, it's easy to get sober. You can go to a detox 
and get sober. Staying sober is harder, right? Staying sober. And then the hardest thing for me is staying sober and staying comfortable. I want to be comfortable. I just want to be okay. I'm more than okay today, which is cool. But in the end, I just want to be okay. You want um, that whole to be fulfilled right, on your day to right. day. And no no amount of drinks or drugs or women or or you know fancy suits or fancy cars is going to fill that hole. And I've tried all those things. And they don't seem to work. Um, the only thing that seems to work is this power of love. Um, but now, like I said, I rant and ramble a lot. But back to that super original thought of um, there's that there's that guy with one year, five years, ten years, and say the greatest miracle today is that I have not picked up a drink in one year, five years, or ten years. For me, the greatest miracle today is that I haven't wanted to. That is the greatest miracle. It's not that I haven't picked up a drink or a drug in four years. It's I haven't wanted to. That obsession to drink and drug and to get relief from drinks from drinks and drugs is gone. It's gone. And it can come back. I've, I've seen it come back in people. I truly haven't obsessed in the past four years over a drink or drug. I've had two thoughts about maybe drinking or drugging in the past four years when life was really hard. But I haven't obsessed over it and I haven't want, like truly wanted it. Um, and... And so that's the greatest miracle in my life today, that I haven't wanted a drink or a drug in the past four years when I lived my life searching for that, right? Definitely. And it makes me so glad to hear. And it's, it's, I mean, it's just great as a friend and just knowing you all these years, just seeing you grow up as a person and be able to successfully make these, you know, changes in your life and decide you want to actually turn around and help people, which makes me want to ask like you know what would you say to somebody who's going who's going through what 14 12 year old you was going through at the time and doesn't know where to reach out doesn't know how to feel about themselves as a 14 year old if they were 14 or 12 year old going through what i was going through or kid growing up having problems um i would make sure that right and so this goes kind of goes back to what kyle was talking about right how people how we have this opioid epidemic Mm -hmm. um Something that goes hand in hand with that, I just want to say quickly, is society. Society nowadays is all about relief, sure. getting relief from outside yeah, things. Whether it's relief, right? Yeah. Whether it's sex um, with women, right? People, women are degraded and used as objects. So people think that's a good way to get relief. Um, people think watching TV is a good way to get relief. People think eating a lot or not eating at all right. or hurting themselves or drinking excessively or using drugs, right? Society has place in our minds that we need to get this relief and stimulate our dopamine receptors in our brain um, to get relief and be okay. And that's what's going to make us okay. I found that, right? Love and compassion toward all is a much better solution and gives me the most amount of relief. Um, it's my steak today, right? As a dog, mm-hmm. those things were my bones. This is my steak. Nothing nothing compares to the feeling of me. And this is what, the reason why I try and help people. Um when I see the light come on in someone's eyes for the first time in their life, that is the greatest feeling ever. I don't help all these people. I help a lot. Of, I try and help a lot of people. I don't do it because I'm a good guy or a nice guy. I do it because the feeling I get from it is better than anything I ever put in my arm, up my nose, or down my throat. Um, I get a real high from helping people, right? Seeing that light come on in someone's eyes. It's a beautiful thing that I am able and blessed and fortunate enough to be able to experience because most people unfortunately don't get to experience Mm -hmm. that they just don't um so i'm grateful that i've that i've that i can do that or try and do that for other people um 
but what you were talking about, what I would say to the 14 or 12 year old um, is, and what Kyle was talking about, right? How we have this epidemic um, really because of society, like um, is like, I would talk to him. I would just talk to him and see where he's at. I've learned that I can't force anyone to do anything. And I, I'm not the type of guy who's going to chase someone to be okay. Um, I, I have a close friend right now in New Jersey who's like drinking way too much. And like he's not in a good place, and I want to talk to him about it, but I can I can only do so much, right? The one thing I've learned is that I'm not powerful enough. I thought I was invincible my whole life. I'm not gonna get anyone drunk, but I'm not gonna get anyone sober. Um, I I can only do so much, right? There's only this power of love that can do it, and I'll try mm -hmm. and act out of love. But if someone doesn't want to be sober, then they're not going to be sober. It's really Absolutely. that simple. Sure. So like to the 14-year-old struggling with that stuff, I would try and talk to him and educate him on drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. And I believe that that's like what we need for the opioid epidemic, right? That we need to go to the kids and have better education and set up right all these things where people know really what's 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 going on, like awareness of this of this thing. Because... People, people, there's a stigma to alcoholics and drug addicts, right? That they're homeless, that they're um, mm -hmm. bad people. Um, I don't believe they're bad people, by the way. I literally believe that they're just people who are sick and like hurt and in pain. I agree with you. Which, well, I'm going to use an extreme example. Mm -hmm. When I was in Boston and the bo uh, there, was, there was bombings, the marathon bombings mm -hmm. that happened in Boston, I was with this guy, Mike, a close friend of mine, um, and I saw him crying. And I was like, oh, do you know someone? Like, and, and he was like, no, but it's just worrisome, right? There are all these victims and it sucks. And I'm, gonna, I'm praying for these people. Um, and I said, yeah, we should, we should pray for these people, right? And so we, like, we, we prayed together. We prayed for these people who are victims. And then he said, and let's pray for the bombers. And I said, whoa, what are you talking about, dude? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was like six months sober at the time. He's like, what do you mean pray for the bombers? And he was like, well, Casey... You have to understand these bombers are obviously sick um, and these people are really hurt. They feel like they need to cause harm to other people, whether it's right a legitimate mental illness they have or they're just really hurt or they have a lot of pain. And out of that, circ out of that situation and that, uh, that circumstance that happened, that thing that happened, and a, a lot of people will probably disagree with me. I don't really care, though. I think it's is an that, interesting perspective. Right, right, is that those bombers aren't bad people they are just really disconnected from this power of love. They're really disconnected of this power of love. Um, they're not doing love's will, right? They're doing their own will because um, every man and woman have free will. We can do whatever we want. Um, they're really disconnected from this power, blocked off from this power of love. They're really sick and they're doing really bad things, but that does not make them a bad person. And so that's why I have that perspective on that. Um, Beautifully said. Thanks. Yeah. But... um. I don't know how we got to that topic, but it's okay. We're moving along. Yeah, but yeah. no, but I just wanted Let's to address like, right. We have an opioid epidemic going on. People yes. are dying on the streets every single day. Um, I think it was like last year, 76,000 people died, um, from overdoses and absolutely. And absurd. that's, and that's yeah. right. That's not alcohol related deaths either. And, um, it's, it's now surpassed the amount of people that die in car accidents. Um, oh and it's, it's, it's a thing that we need to address. And I saw, uh, Trump the other day addressing it and like in a in a in a uh, an address to the nation about like right trying to win this war 
uh, against the opioid crisis and epidemic, and it starts with right the pharmaceutical companies, and that's true. Um, the pharmaceutical companies, a lot of them are corrupt. Um, a lot of the people behind who made this up originally when oxycontin was produced they said it's a non-addictive drug it's going to work great and it was very addictive doctors unfortunately have always lied and i'm not saying doctors are bad but like doctors have always lied um back in the early 1900s they you could go to the dentist and get some cocaine for teeth pain right and uh so people were doing coke and then they were like oh wait coke isn't bad as doctors lying or doctors not knowing a lot of the um, time so right sometimes that may be the case of the misinformed giving misinformation mm-hmm. um so maybe they're misinformed however like who's to blame if the drug company told the doctor they did the test and these are non-addictive substances you totally know? totally um to well they okay so maybe not the doctors sure but maybe the drug companies however the doctor can recognize right if Definitely. someone's picking up a habit you're not wrong about and that. and so they i know plenty of doctors who who right have probably stopped prescribing because they've seen that it's a problem. Mm-hmm. I personally know a few doctors in the past who illegally pr- gave me drugs. Specifically in Colorado, there was one woman I would see, and she gave me a slip, and she said, "Sign any two things you want." And there was all these drugs, and I would always sign Xanax and OxyContin, and she'd give me fifty pills of each, and I'd pay her some cash under the table, oh and that was God. it. Well, so there are illegal doctors yeah. out there all over the place. Yeah. Um, but basically, we need to. Right, we need to, and and honestly, I don't get into politics. I don't get into uh, publicly, at least. I don't talk about my my opinions, um, but I will just say only because we're already talking about it that, like, right, we need better education for children on like what drugs and alcohol really do. Um, oh, I actually wanted and, to say one thing, and I'm sorry to cut off your point. No and it has to do exactly with that: the better education for children with yep. drugs, because I mean, I just remember. I, I don't know if Dare still even exists, but I remember. Oh, Dare ba- exists, yeah, yeah. It still, it still yeah, goes it's on. I believe so. I remember how bad it was looking back at it, because they made everybody seem exactly how you said: all drug addicts are evil creatures who are. Right. You know what I mean? That wasn't. That was like the exact opposite of how they should have been explaining right. it. And I remember even as a kid having very different ideas of what drugs do to you than what they actually do. And I right. only found that out by experimentation on my own later Absolutely. on, which I think is the exact problem. Like it needs to be true education of right. what's going on. Of what's going on. Like, like, Oh, that's what I was talking about. Right. There's that stigma of alcoholics and addicts, right. That they're homeless, that they're bad people. That's how I got into the bad people thing. Um, that all this stuff um, about what a drug addict or alcoholic should look like. Um, and that's not the reality of the situation at all. A drug addict, right? An alcoholic is me. It's like the kid you guys knew growing up who's yeah. just full of fear and like be doesn't a soccer know, mom. right? And mm-hmm. doesn't right? And doesn't know how to talk about his feelings about what's going on. And um, I think the education's great because people nowadays, to this day, they're like, "Oh, drug addicts are bad people," right? Um, no, we're sick people, and we we just need treatment and we need help. Um, it doesn't have to do, it's not a morality thing, right? Where we're like, we're, ba- I mean, we are selfish people. Like we are, I- I'm Humans selfish. are selfish. Right, right, yeah. that's true. It's human nature, unfortunately, nowadays. Um, where I'm, I am a selfish person at heart. Um, but I just, we, we need better education of truly what addiction and alcoholism is um, and what drugs do and why we shouldn't do them. And then with all that education of people, right? people are still going to do them, especially if they're a drug addict or an alcoholic. Sometimes they'll look for relief in that. And then 
will you know give them treatment but oh, it's all about money um like mm. treatment nowadays there's a lot of like corrupt industry uh treatment industry can be corrupt in a lot of ways i i was i used to work for a guy who shall remain nameless but um he got caught right doing insurance fraud taking illegal kickbacks for money and he was giving extra urine tests out and then um he he had me like i i used to work i used to be the program director of a 28-bed facility and he had me and a friend of mine eric redesign the whole program and eric was doing most of the work because i was really lazy and irresponsible at the time but um we redesigned this program we implemented all these things and then he was like oh that's going to cost too much money we can't do that um and he ended up going bankrupt and had to shut down the 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 treatment industry there are a lot of great places but they're also a lot of corrupt places um, because people are selfish, like I said, and people just want money. So we need better education. We need true treatment facilities that are doing the right things for the right reasons rather than right the right things for the wrong reasons because um, that's dishonest. And we we just need and I don't I don't exactly know. Like I said, I don't exactly know. Claim to know what we you don't have to need. It's an, it's an ongoing but this is what I think. Right. And this we is figure what, it out. Right. And this is through our right. conversations with each other and when we actually is, talk about the right. issues. And this is what I think would be helpful. That's all. So bet much better education, honest treatment facilities, and um, stuff like that along that well, nature. Yeah. I have a final question for you. So, uh, you know, you've spoken about all the good things that uh you've been doing and how you've grown and i just want to know like for your like what do you see in the future do, are, are you do you want to go around spreading this message of you know the power of love and right. and self-help and you know how people can improve on themselves or are you do you want to just focus on cigars you know right no like. totally <laughs> um i mean right like i said i i love working in the cigar business but it's it's a hobby mm -hmm. um definitely a hobby I, I love doing it, but it's not my main motivator. My main motivator is to write, like I said, see the light come on in someone's eyes. Like that gives me the best feeling. And and I continue to try and do that. I go out of my way and not to like, I'm not trying to like brag or boost my own ego, but just so you guys know, because I haven't really talked about it with you two specifically, I, I try and help a lot of people on a daily basis. Like I've devoted my life to helping people. I feel that and way. Out of, out of counseling, right? Yeah. Out of counseling. Um, within counseling, right? There's that certain clinical aspect, which I've went, went to school for, right? Um, where I can try and help people too, but it's totally separate from when I'm trying to help people out of the power of love, even though that doesn't mean I'm not going to act towards, right? Right. Love and compassion towards other people, but it's separate. Um, I, I want to keep spreading this message. I want to keep trying to help people. Um, because as long as I'm sober and trying to help people, there's hope. That's you great. see, when, when people, I don't want to get emotional, but uh, <laughs> when, when people are in their worst spots, they seem hopeless um, as long as I stay sober. And if I keep helping people, you know, I can, I can sound really good talking through this microphone to you guys, um, but it doesn't really matter what I say. Words are, cheap. Words are powerful, mm -hmm. but they're cheap. Action is everything. It matters what I do, not what I say. So if I keep doing this thing and trying to help people i hope that people will see rather than me talk about it and hear me they're like oh that's a nice guy and they see that i actually do this they'll be like okay wow he's doing something maybe i should do something too it's like 
monkey see, monkey do, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to pay attention to what I do, not what I say. So that's why I keep doing this. And I hope to do this for the rest of my life. And I never want to forget that um, for the sole purpose of, of people having hope. Because I've tried killing myself. I've overdosed twice. Um, I should not be alive for the things I've done to people. But, but I am. And so that gives me hope. And I try and carry that hope to someone else. That's all. We sincerely appreciate it, man. I mean, I, I want to say, like, I remember uh, it was a few months back now. You had caught me at a party because I hadn't been going out so much. And you looked at me. I guess you knew that, like, everything wasn't going great in my life at the time. And you came up and you had, like, a serious talk with me and, yep. like, asked me how I was doing. And uh, I appreciated the shit out of that. I mean, that was awesome. And I feel I feel like now, every time I call you, like I don't have anything against this. It's actually great, but well, you, that's you, like a counseling session. Yeah. <laughs> not that it's like, but you. I'm you, not trying to. I know you pick up the phone and you have this counselor voice on before I can yeah. get you to like. You, you give me the Ben. How are you doing? You know, and I'm yeah. like Casey. It's it's good. And that's like, just how I talk to people. I know. A lot of I know. Times. <laughs> I can tell that now it's like something that's become part of your life right, because you're right. on a day to day. But it's 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 funny, but it's also at the same time I pre I do appreciate it. Thank you know, you, it's an awesome thing. Of course. Um, and I've talked to Kyle about it too, right? We've we've definitely had our serious yeah. talks too, and and um, right? I I talk to people in this calm, like, hey, how are you? Like, I'm doing very well. I'm I'm doing quite well. How are you? <laughs> he puts on his but formal can, counselor. But but if you know me, which you guys both know me, uh, very well. I'm still a goofball. I can be really silly, right? And like, I, that doesn't mean I can't act out of love and being goofball at the same time. And I love doing both. Um, sure. But I'm, I basically, I just want to help people. You you started with asking me, what do you want to do in life? I just want to help people. I want to see people with hope. I want to see people live rather than die. Um, and I mean, we all die. That's a part of life. It's a part of the process. And I've accepted that and that's okay. I don't fear death anymore. I truly don't. Um, but I don't want to see people die right from so much pain. I don't want to see people die because they're in pain. Um, I want people to be able to live as they're without, without, um, without fear, without fear, letting, letting them, letting fear control them. Um, and pain happens, but you don't have to suffer necessarily from the pain. And that's my experience. You don't have to suffer from the pain. You can do something about it today. Um, it's like you're, you're, I always relate this to poker because you guys know I'm the big poker player. Oh, yeah. You're dealt, right, two cards in, in Texas Hold'em. It doesn't matter what cards I have. It matters what how I'm playing the other people on the board, and that's kind of like life. It doesn't matter what circumstances you're dealt. I'm not saying life's easy. Life is hard. No one goes through life unscathed. But what are you going to do about it? That is the question, right? What w actions are you willing to take? What are you, you going to do about it? Circumstances don't matter. Life is painful, and you can be in pain, but you don't have to suffer from that pain. You can try and grow from it and learn from it. And uh, these, are like, these are like some lessons that I have learned, but try and never forget. That's all. If there was someone right now that was in pain, how would they be able to reach you? Do you have some sort of uh, easily accessible contact for someone listening that's you know not feeling themselves and wants to take a step in the wrong direction, how would they reach out to you? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm like an Instagram and Snapchat snob. So Ooh, they could what is it? What is it? DM me there. Do your um, plug. But no, they, I mean, they could DM me there. I don't really talk about um, this thing 
on Facebook, right? That right. that I'm a sober individual. I don't talk about that. I talk about it with friends and I talk about it. There's this thing, right, where I'm not supposed to really talk about it um, because because it could hurt the main goal. Um, and I'm being very vague and very general and kind mm -hmm. of, right, like, I'm not being clear about it for a good reason. But there's this thing where I can't really talk about it. However, I always ask myself, I want to be of maximum service and of use to others around me. So I did this, right? I talked about this and opened up because if someone hears this and they're in pain, I want to know that they can talk to me about it. So I am I am open about it. I'm not going to shout it from the rooftops for no reason, mm -hmm. right? There's no reason to do that. But I, I'm open about it um, because I never want to block off someone from being from thinking that they can't ask me for help. Um, and if someone wants to ask me for help, right? They just, they literally give me a call. They get my phone number. They contact me through Facebook. They, they contact me through some way. I get, I get, right. I get like five to 10 phone calls a day. I talk to people, a lot of people, and I call a lot of people for help mm -hmm. too, for myself, but I get a lot of phone calls every day. People Facebook message me that I've never talked to across the country and I talk to them sometimes. Um, so there's a million ways to to contact me. So what what is your Instagram handle? What is your Facebook? You really handle? want me? Well, that's yeah, your yeah. plug. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, that sure. way people can reach out. You feel comfortable having people? Reach yeah, out. yeah I don't sure. Want to I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can contact me on Facebook, right? Casey Mann. That's my that's my Facebook name. My Instagram name is Cosy Moan. Uh, it's C O S E Y underscore Moan M O N E. My Snapchat is Casey Duman C A S E Y D A M A N N. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm promoting myself. Oh, no, no, nothing with Vorchonis. Um, that was like a saying. For those of you who don't know, that was like a saying that, um, I don't want to give credit to the wrong person and not give credit to the right person. So it was a saying that me, my friend Matt Chapelsky, my friend Zach Wiesner, um, Imri, um, Ori, who's in the other room, right? We these are sayings that we always used to say growing up and um it was just like Not kind of words. a funny thing yeah. yeah that that doesn't make sense <laughs> but but it makes sense to us when we say it it's like a it's like oh we have to call fuva right the sushi place mm -hmm. and they just closed oh roar chonis <laughs> like like it's oh man like that sucks that's what roar chonis means uh casey man <laughs> it's been a fucking pleasure having you absolutely on. I it's think been a pleasure to be here Thank you, man. I think you had a very compelling episode. I think we all enjoyed listening to what you had to say. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the Disconnection podcast. And uh, please like and subscribe and check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We'll be happy to see you again. I've been Ben. I've been Kyle. Thank you, guys. <laughs>